today is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verses 1 to 11. It's on page 958 of the Pew Bible. So I'll just give you a minute now to um, just look that up. Okay, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 1. Now brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, while people are saying, peace and safety. Destruction will come upon them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness, so then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning and welcome to Camberwell South Anglican Church. Uh, my name's David, in case we haven't met. Uh, it's a privilege to bring you God's word. Uh, over the past couple of months, uh, we've been going through a book called 1 Thessalonians. Uh, and it's appropriate, actually, when we come to today's passage, that it's about the second advent of Jesus as we come towards uh, celebrating the first advent of Jesus with Christmas. So let me pray for us. Keep your Bibles open as we explore what it means for Jesus to come back again. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are our wonderful and gracious and good God who sent Christ uh, during the first Christmas uh, to live the life we can't, to die the death we deserve, so that in him we might uh, be with him forever in glory. And as we explore and continue our study on 1 Thessalonians and think about his second coming and his return uh, uh, to bring us home, uh, may you help us to understand what it means and when he might come. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I was in the middle of the night. I was uh, deep asleep and then I heard Dave. I sat up, my eyes were still closed, I was half asleep, and I was thinking, Kylie's calling me. Someone's broken in. I gotta get up, I gotta look after her and look after our family. But I didn't have a weapon. Where's the weapon? I have no weapon. Man, I wish I had and knew Kung Fu. And then, as I was thinking these things, while I was still half asleep, I was interrupted again. Dave! My water's broke. And I was like, oh my goodness, what a relief, we're not being robbed. We're having a baby. But that was a complete surprise to me as well because Kylie at that time was pregnant with our first Maddie, uh, but she wasn't due for another few weeks. So we weren't expecting her yet. She was early. Uh, that night was exactly 5,036 days ago, but I can remember it like it was last night. Uh, about 15 hours later, uh, Maddie was born. Uh, I think there's a picture of it on the screen. Uh, she was weighing a mere 2.31 kilos. Uh, five pounds. Now, as, as much as I like reminiscing, uh, there's a point to this story. As we saw last week, the Christians in Thessalonica were wondering uh, when Jesus will come back. They thought that Jesus was going to come back in their lifetime. 
while they were still alive, Jesus will return and they'll meet with him. But he didn't. Some of them had died. And so they were wondering, well, well, will the dead Christians miss out on the resurrection? And the answer from last week's passage was a clear no. No, those who have died won't miss out on the resurrection. In fact, they will be the first to rise and meet Jesus uh, when he returns. And so if Jesus hasn't returned, then it's only natural for them to wonder, well, if Jesus hasn't returned and we were expecting him to return already, then when is he going to return? When is he going to come home, come back and take us home? Now, that's the essence of today's passage. Paul's now answering that question, when is Jesus returning? And today's passage, please have it open with you, uh, can be broken up into three major sections. Verses 1 to 2 is about uh, Jesus' return. And the answer is that we just don't know. He'll come back when we least expect it, almost. Uh, verse, uh, the second section is verses 3 to 5. Jesus' return is inevitable. And then the last section is 6 to 11. Jesus' return must shape the way we live now. Now, as you're probably aware, ever since Jesus ascended back to heaven in Acts chapter 1, the question of Jesus' return has plagued the minds of many. Uh, So yesterday I did a Google search on uh, when will Jesus return? And guess how many results uh, came up? 217 million pages. Uh, That is, a lot of people are wondering and are interested in the second advent of Jesus. So I do something. I thought I'd do something fun. I, I decided maybe I'll Google my own name to see how many results will come up. And unbeknown to me, I'm an, a Canadian actor with a website, davidhoon.com. Well, the point is, there are a lot of people interested in Jesus' second coming. In fact, there's even a Wikipedia page titled Predictions and Claims for the Second Coming. And a lot of people for a long time have tried to predict Jesus' second coming. Maybe you have as well. So apparently Jesus was predicted to return in 500 AD, uh, which was based on the dimensions of Noah's Ark. Uh, An astrologer, uh, Johannes Stoffler, based his predictions on the planetary alignment uh, in Pisces and said Jesus will return on 20th February 1524. Uh, Some sects have even been, been formed around this very question. Uh, such as the Jehovah Witnesses, who believed that Jesus would return in 1878, uh, but then he didn't, so then they predicted 1881, but he didn't, 1914, then 1918, and then 1925. And so you might be wondering, well, who's right? Well, I hope you know that they're all wrong, not just because those dates have come and passed and Jesus hasn't returned, but because the Apostle Paul in today's passage makes it explicitly clear that we don't know. So stop guessing. Verse 1, Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we don't need to write to you. That is, you don't need me to tell you again that we don't know, but here it is again, we don't know. For you know very well, in verse 2, that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. A couple of years ago, I was working in the courtyard, and I had the garage door wide open. I left my uh, mobile phone in the courtyard, had my AirPods on. I went into the courtyard, did some work, and as I was walk- working away, listening to music, uh, I started noticing that the music started uh, uh, drifting, and that the music became static, and then the music completely stopped. And I thought, oh, that's very strange. What's happening there? So I went to the garage to look for my phone to see what's happened, and I couldn't find my phone. So I yelled out, kids, who's got my phone? Have you seen my phone? And they said, no, no, I haven't. 
And so I thought, oh, that's a bit strange. And so I opened the MacBook, went to find my phone, and my phone was walking up the street. It's like, oh my goodness. So I, I, I locked it. I, I, I did that buzzer thing that you know, produces that sound. And with my laptop, I started walking up the street, hoping the Wi-Fi would reach. And eventually, I found my phone in someone's ute. So it appears that someone had come into our garage, stolen the phone, and when they saw that I locked the phone and started beeping it, they got scared and they dumped it in someone's ute. Can you believe it? In the middle of the day, in the suburb of Kew, I was robbed. Now let me tell you what the thief didn't do. The week before, he didn't send me a letter to say, hey Dave, I'm going to be coming next week in the middle of the day. I'm going to see when your garage is open. I'm going to come in and sneak in and steal something valuable. He didn't do that. He also didn't SMS Kylie and say to Kylie, hey Kylie, I'm just letting you know that I'm going to steal from Dave next week at this time at this place. You see, I'm not a thief and I don't like to teach you how to steal but if you were going to steal from someone, you don't tell them in advance what you're going to do and when you're going to do it. No, the thief came in the middle of the day, unannounced, walking up my driveway into my court, uh, into my uh, garage, snooped around, took my phone and walked away with it. You see, a thief, and when a thief comes, they come unannounced. And it's unpredictable. You don't know when they're going to come or whether they'll come. You just don't know. It's unannounced and unpredictable. You're not going to know when. It can be now. It can be later. It, you could be robbed right now as you sit here at church, couldn't you? And they wouldn't have told you otherwise. We, and so in a similar way, Jesus is going to come back like a thief. We just don't know when. It could be now or now. And guess what? He didn't because we don't know. And just as we need to be careful not to read between the lines in last week's passage, as I explained that, and if you missed last week's passage, it's an important passage uh, that, that you need to listen to to understand today's passage as well. So, so you don't read between the lines. You don't read too much into it either. We need to make sure that we don't digest, uh, uh, rip apart everything and try to find the secret code and to decode a, a secret message that Paul might be saying that we can't see, obviously, unless we you know, read it upside down or back to front. There's no secret message to, dis- to discover, no vision from God that we must wait for. I mean, if you press too far or too hard, you might even think that Jesus is going to be a thief and that he is actually a thief. That's not how you read the Bible. We don't know when Jesus will return. Don't wait for a vision. There is no vision. But while Jesus' return might be unpredictable, it's to be expected. As surely as a pregnant woman will experience labour pains, so it will be inevitable that Jesus will return. And it's going to be painful for some. We see this in verse 3. Have a look at it with me. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labour pains as on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. Now in last week's passage, Paul reassured the Thessalonian Christians that when Jesus returns, whether they're dead or alive, they'll be raised to glory, to be with Jesus in the victory parade in the clouds. But here we see 
what happens with unbelievers? Like our unbelieving neighbour or our friend who's rejected the gospel. While they're going about their ordinary lives like as all is well and good, saying peace and safety, Jesus will come back. Suddenly, unannounced. And just as labour pains on a pregnant woman can hit them suddenly, even in the middle of the night, while they're fast asleep, so Jesus will return. Just as labour pain is painful, it will be so painful for those who do not put their faith in Jesus before that day. There will be destruction for them, we're told. While glory is guaranteed for believers, destruction is guaranteed for unbelievers. It is inescapable, just as labour pains is inescapable for a pregnant woman. You see, at the end of the day, what matters isn't whether we're rich or poor, we're Chinese or Spanish, we're liberal supporter or labour supporter or pro-Ukraine or pro-Russia. At the end of the day, what matters is whether you believe in Jesus, that in him alone you have salvation, that you have forgiveness in God, that you meet with him as your saviour and not as your judge. At the end of the day, what matters is whether you're a Christian and on the right side of Jesus or an unbeliever finding yourself on the wrong side of Jesus. As Paul puts it, children of the light or children of darkness. So verse 4, but you brothers and sisters are not in darkness because they're believers. You're not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. You see, as children of the light, we won't be surprised when Jesus returns. We're expecting him to return. We just don't know when. And so we're prepared. We're ready for Jesus' return. In fact, we want Jesus to return, but we just don't know when. But for unbelievers, for those who have not put their faith in Jesus, they don't believe in Jesus, let alone his second coming. They don't believe in the final judgment, let alone the moral standard God demands of all people. And so the last day will hit them hard. It'll be a day of destruction for them. And so, friends, let me plead with you, if you have not put your faith in Jesus, then do so today, because we don't know when Jesus will return. And you must put your faith in Jesus so that you might stand with him in glory and be part of the victory parade and not on the wrong side of Jesus and to receive his judgment for all our sins, for all your sins. Now, you might be wondering, if we're children of the light, if we're Christians and we put our faith in Jesus, what does that mean? How, how do we do that? How do we live in light of Jesus coming? What does that look like every day? Now, some people will try and convince you that what you need to do to prepare, be prepared for Jesus' return is that you need to sell all your possessions, get off the grid, move into a compound with like-minded people who believe the same thing, because Jesus is coming so imminently that we have to dissociate ourselves as much as possible from this world so that we might receive and embrace Jesus when he comes and we don't want to miss it. And so we've got to get ready. We've got to, we've got to move to the country. And, and, and this happens so often, doesn't it? 
Almost every year you'd, you'd hear about another sect in, in America that, that, that have done something like that. Or maybe in Australia. You see, so some people have all these ideas about what you need to do to be ready. He's coming back so soon, so be ready. But what does Paul say? What does Paul tell the Thessalonian Christians how they should be prepared for the return of Jesus? Well, he simply tells them, be sober and awake. He, he doesn't say, sell your possessions, flee the cities, live together in a compound. He, he doesn't say any of those things. Verse 6, so then let us not be like others who are asleep, who are in darkness, who are not ready, who do not believe. Let, not, let, let us not be like them, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. Now the word in the original for sober is the same word translated as self-control. Now it makes sense, doesn't it? Because you can't be sober if you don't have self-control. And so the principle here isn't restricted to alcohol consumption, but to everyday life. Uh, Christians don't indulge in the world like an alcoholic indulges in alcohol. Our Christians are self-controlled, like a sober person who can say no to the next glass of wine. You, you see, when an alcoholic is at the pub, what do they do? What's the question that they keep asking the bartender? Can I have one more, please? You, you see, it's, it's just one more drink, you see. And they promise that's going to be their last. They'll stop after this one more drink. But then it's just one more drink after that. And another, and another. There is no self-control. There's drunkenness. There's intoxication. There's no self-control. Uh, now, the issue with us uh, may or may not be alcohol. But what's that one more that you keep asking for? Uh, that one more thing that you're addicted to? That the one more thing that you find hard to resist? Uh, the one more thing that you have no self-control over? Is it that one more promotion? Or that one more experience? At that one more bonus, or that one more house in your portfolio. Well, what's that one more idol you have in your heart? Now, don't hear me wrong. Uh, in and of themselves, uh, there's nothing wrong with having a glass of wine or getting a promotion or wanting to get a good bonus. There's nothing uh, wrong with having an investment uh, portfolio or to experience that next best thing. But if those things, if that one more is what defines you, if that one more is where you feel you'll finally be satisfied, that your life and desires have finally been met, that your passion and security is found in that one more, that your life will be so much better if you had that one more, then that's your idol. That, where you find your ultimate satisfaction, that's your idol. 
You see, lacking self-control doesn't just mean lying wasted on the floor of a nightclub. It's going after the insatiable desire of your heart, that one more that binds you to this world and not to the next. That one more that binds you to this world and not the next. And so, friends, if you're finding that you never have enough, that there's always this one more experience, one more amount of money, one more amount of power that occupies your mind, that defines your life, that takes up your time, then maybe you need to be honest with yourself. Maybe you're not living in light of the day. Maybe you're living in darkness and you're just in denial. You see, the idea of being sober and not being drunk is that you're alert and you're ready. You're not intoxicated with the excesses of this world, but you're living in light of the day with faith, love, and hope. Verse 8, but since we belong to the day, friends, if you belong to the day, this is how you are to live your life. Don't sell your possessions and live in a compound. This is how you live your day. This is how you live in light of the day that Jesus will return. It's practical. It's measured and it's appropriate. This is how to live in light of the day. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Now, when you have an image of a soldier, what conjures into your mind, uh, comes up for you? What's the picture you have? Well, you... Well, when you think about a soldier who has a breastplate and a helmet, you're thinking of someone who's regimented, who's ready, who's disciplined, who's self-controlled. And that's the image Paul wants us to have as a Christian. A disciplined, and dis- a disciplined soldier is a, is a soldier in Christ, is one who will wear the breastplate of faith and love, who will don the helmet of hope, Prepared and ready for Jesus' return. Not intoxicated with this world. Ready for Jesus, for we will not suffer the wrath of God, but receive salvation from God. Verse 9, for God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. But just as a soldier never goes out to fight alone and is always found in a company of soldiers, so Christians, we don't do it alone. Verse 11, therefore encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. You see, you can't be a Christian alone. You're a Christian in community. That's why church matters. That's why we need to make it a priority to come to church because coming together is one of the most important ways in which we can encourage each other to live in light of the day, to live with faith, love and hope. You see, people who say that being prepared for Jesus' return is effectively disconnecting from this world have not read this passage. It's a bit like someone who's prepared, so prepared for a thief 
that they lock themselves in their home, turn on the security cameras, and they can't move because if they move, they'll trigger the alarms. And so what they do is that they get their baseball bat or their golf club and they stand at the door or by the window waiting for a thief to come so that they can knock them out. And that's how they live their lives. Or it's a bit like a woman who finds she's pregnant at six weeks and takes maternity leave effective immediately. Sits in an emergency at the local hospital 24-7 and won't leave the emergency room because her contractions might start at any time. That sort of intensity is unrealistic. You can't live like that. And Paul is saying, don't live like that. But live with faith, love, and hope as you live out your Christian walk in this world. In fact, if you live like that, people will be saying you need medical help. But instead, how do we prepare ourselves if we're robbed? If we think we might be robbed, what did you do this morning? Or you locked your door and went on with your day. That's how you're prepared to be robbed. Uh, You don't, you don't, Stay at home and hold a baseball bat and turn on a security alarm and stay there day and night because you might get robbed? No, you don't live like that. You lock your door and walk away. You live your life. Uh, how, how, how does a pregnant woman prepare uh, for labor? Well, she goes to prenatal classes and take maternity leave maybe at eight months. It's measured and sensible. That's how we live. And as Christians, while we're waiting for Jesus' return, it needs to be measured and sensible. Paul is measured and sensible. We must be measured and sensible. After all, we're not told to escape the world. We're sojourners in this world. We're not told we're off this world, but we still have to live in this world. And that means living each and every day with faith, love, and hope. Faith in God, love for one another, and hope in our salvation. And so we find ourselves lacking in self-control and finding, always finding ourselves pursuing that one next thing, that one more thing. Well, what can we do? Well, just as a soldier always goes to war with like-minded company, so must we. We need each other. Paul tells us in verse 11, we need to encourage each other to build each other up just as we're doing, but to do so more and more. Uh, and that might be asking a loving brother or sister to help us see what we can't see for ourselves. And that means some of us need to be brave and ask the hard questions. Maybe it's a matter of turning to that good friend that you know who has your back, who you know loves you deeply, and asking them the hard question, do you think I live out my faith? Be honest, you know me, you've seen me at church, you know me outside of church, do you think that I live out my faith? Do you think I live in light of the day? Have you experienced love from me? Sacrificial love, generous and gracious love from me? Can you tell by the decisions I've made, the priorities I have, that I live with hope? That I expect Jesus to return to bring me salvation? Did you see that in my life? You see, the problem with being intoxicated, like an alcoholic, 
is that you never think that that one more drink is one too many. And like an alcoholic who denies having a problem with alcohol, we might be in denial with that one more thing that we're always pursuing. And so, friends, we need to be humble, don't we? We need to listen, not just to God's word, but to each other. As loving brothers and sisters in Christ, that we might hold each other accountable. So that we will not be raised to meet Jesus for destruction, but for salvation. It matters. It matters for all eternity. Friends, there's a fascination with the last day, and it can be all-consuming for some people. That is all they think about, and they revolve their whole lives around that particular day that they believe that Jesus will return. That that day will spell the end of the world as we know it. That we need to do something about it right now, they say. Uh, in fact, when I was at uni, a friend of mine uh, was a devout Christian. She attended a Christian union. She went to every Bible study, went to all the conferences. She read the Bible every day. She's as committed as a Christian can be committed. She's very involved with her church as well. But then her pastor said, oh, Jesus is going to come back in 2008. I've decoded the Bible. And I said, you can't believe that, can you? Paul's very clear. He's explicit. You don't know when Jesus returns. But she said, I have to listen to him. He loves Jesus so much. He serves so much at the church. I have to listen to him. Friends, the Bible is very clear. We don't know when Jesus will return. And in case you're wondering, 2008 was about 14 years ago. And Jesus did return. In fact, even Jesus said in Matthew 24 and Mark 13 that he doesn't even know the day or the hour. Nor the angels, only God the Father. And so how can someone dare say, I know something Jesus doesn't? Friends, whoever comes to you and claims to have a vision from God and tells you to sell your possessions and move into a compound, don't listen to them. Listen to the Bible. If someone says they've decoded some secret passage or they've seen the stars or they've measured Noah's ark or they've done this or done that and they know something Jesus doesn't know, don't listen to them. Listen to the Bible. Please don't elevate as well like my friend did. Anyone, even your pastor, above the Bible. That's why we encourage you to have your scriptures open as we come together. So you can check what I'm saying is true. I'm not making this up. Don't elevate anyone. No preacher, no minister, no scholar, no friend, no family above the word of God. Listen to the Bible. We know Jesus is coming back, friends. We don't know when, but he is coming back. So let's wait expectantly for Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, then please make this Christmas your best Christmas. Put your faith in Jesus. And for us who have already put our faith in Jesus, let's wait expectantly for Jesus. 
with a gospel-centered focus, with soldier-like discipline and self-control, with the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of salvation. Together. Amen.